0: Welcome to each of you. It's great to have you here as we gather around this very important theme that I have found as I've been studying and preparing for it. It's all over in the Bible. The question, who needs repentance, is going to be answered over and over to us. As we look around at the situation in our world today, it's easy for us to point at some obvious answers to that question of who needs repentance. Uh, We hear it in the news uh, of a world leader who is an absolute tyrant. Um, who's directed his army to invade a sovereign nation and and destroy cities and and wipe out innocent civilians and assassinate the country's president. Atheistic dictator Vladimir Putin needs repentance. And I think we can all agree on that, can't we? But as we look in scripture tonight, we're going to see that also a a godly king in the Old Testament needed repentance, and and those two aren't the only two that do. Um, There's a story... There you go. Um, There's a story that's told in in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's the story of of a little lamb. Um, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. uh, It grew up with him and his children, It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we meditate on this and consider this situation here, In David's life. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, too, about our own lives and our own um, oversights, uh, that we would see what you see. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what was your response to the story that I just read? Very likely anger at that greedy rich man and and, and feeling sorry for for the poor family that lost their pet lamb, right? Well, Well, that story was told, by one of God's prophets, to a godly king named David. And and David, when he heard that story, he felt very much the same way you and I did. And he was a powerful king, and he said in anger to this prophet, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this should die. He he must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing, and had no pity. But when God's prophet then responded, he said to to King David, You are the man. The story is about you, David. You were like that rich man who took the poor neighbor's little ewe lamb. So just what was the prophet Nathan talking about? What had King David done? Well, in the past, David had been a godly leader who, among other things, had led his own army um, into battle against evil nations around them And this time, though, he was more like the leader of Russia than the leader of Ukraine, in that instead of going out into battle with his men, he he sent them out while he stayed back where it was safe and secure, and he relaxed. Um, Not only, though, did he relax physically, but he let his guard down spiritually. And, And that night, feeling lonely perhaps, he walked around on the roof of his king house, and he saw, down below, a beautiful woman bathing And he used his kingly position to get what he desired that night. He committed adultery with her. And then he pretended that nothing had happened. Until, about a month later, when she sent word to the king that she was now pregnant. Now what? Well, David's first plan was to try to cover it up. Pretend that the little baby in Bathsheba's womb was her husband's. But when that didn't work then he had her husband sent to the front lines of the battle where very likely he would be killed, and sure enough, that is what happened. And after an appropriate time of grief had taken place, then King David took this man's widow to be his wife. Well, that was a nice thing to do, right? Nobody else needed to even know what had happened, right? God didn't even know, did he? Well, yes, God did know. And God sent His prophet to confront King David about his sin of adultery, and also essentially then plotting a murder. Well, just what had David gone through in 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 those months? And actually, um, how long was it that he was living with this uh, devious secret inside of him? Was he happy? For at least nine months, he lived in misery. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible tells us there. David himself tells us about it and what he experienced. It tells us in Psalm 32 about this. Like all of us, David had a conscience and and guilt was eating him up. Um, Here's how he describes it in Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, he's talking to God here, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Now why was David so miserable? Was it because he didn't believe in God or care about what God says is right and wrong? No, David did believe in God. And he had been zealous to serve God with his life. This is the same David that was willing to, as a young boy, stand against that giant Goliath when Goliath mocked God and mocked God's people. And David, the shepherd boy, in God's strength, then had killed that giant with a slingshot. This is the same David that wrote many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible, in which he told us of how much he loved God and loved God's word. So why was David now so miserable? It was because he knew he had done wrong. He knew he had sinned against God, but he had spent months deluding, deluding himself or excusing himself or telling himself that he could hide this from everybody else and, and even from God. And it wasn't working for him. And he needed to repent. He needed to have a change of mind and heart and, and quit trying to hide it from God and, and humble himself and admit to God his sin. And it was Nathan the prophet coming to him with this story of the little ewe lamb that finally opened his eyes to see the awfulness of what he had done and, and to see his desperate need for a restored relationship with God. And after being miserable for months, finally he got to that point where he cried out to God and he called his deeds what God called them. He said this in, in Psalm 32, Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What did David call his past actions? He called it sin. That, that's a failure to hit the target of being good. Okay. That's it, iniquity, that, which is wickedness or evil. And transgressions, that's breaking God's holy laws. And in another psalm, Psalm 51, David uses those same words as he pours out his heart and confession to God. And he pleads for God's mercy and forgiveness. He's come to this point where he knows that the only way that he's going to get relief from the inner turmoil he's been feeling is if God will forgive him. Not that he deserves that, but David is remembering that God is an extremely merciful God. And so he says in Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, for you're justified when you speak, and you are blameless when you judge. And David has at last now been honest with God. He's no longer refusing to talk to God about his sins. And and he's calling it what God calls it, recognizing that God would be right to judge him for it. And now at last, he finds relief. David's relief after his um, repentance, and, and then we see some counsel that he gives to fellow sinners here as we look again at Psalm 32. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David knew, now he was forgiven. He no longer needed to carry the guilt, and he can't help but now exclaim about that how awesome it is to know that. And he says, so how blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, who, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He, he's saying how great it is to have my transgression taken off the record. Some of you um, may have sometime in your life gotten a traffic ticket. I don't know if there's anybody here that has, but just in case, maybe there's somebody that has. Maybe somebody's even gotten more than one. Okay. Now, in Minnesota, that comes with a hefty fine. I'm a North Dakota boy, and I, you know, when I was over there, I, it wasn't nearly so bad if you got a ticket. I haven't gotten one in Minnesota, honestly, since I moved here, but if you get one, it's significant, and if you get more than one, it adds up, and they raise the fines, right? And it can get where um, your auto insurance goes up because of it, and and um, multiple tickets can even lead to you losing your license. Now, what a gift that would be, then, if that was your situation, and, and the judge just decided to wipe all that off the record. That's what he's describing here. It's like his sin has been wiped off the record with God. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity or does not assign blame or guilt anymore. How blessed is the man who no longer is deceiving himself, but who is being honest with himself and with God and being a person of integrity. Well, toward the end of the psalm, David gives some counsel or advice to anyone who would try ignoring their conscience like he had done for all those months. And he says, don't do it. Okay, (laughs) Except he says it this way. He says, do not be as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they would not come near to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I have tried riding a horse that didn't want to go someplace. And uh, they can be quite stubborn, and if it wasn't for that bit in their mouth, I I wouldn't have succeeded in getting them to go where I wanted. Um, You have to convince them to go. David's advice was don't be like them unwilling to turn around. Repentance, he says, is a far better option. And he goes on to say then in that psalm, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy. All who are upright in heart. That's all who are being honest with God. Okay. That's being upright in heart. In conclusion then, who needs repentance? Repentance. Well, kings and world leaders need repentance, including some that are alive today. And I I think it's right for us to pray for that for them. And that includes the tyrants like Putin or Kim Jong-un and includes other leaders like Zelensky. I don't know if he knows the Lord or not, but I think we need to pray for that. Pray also for world leaders that are closer to home, like Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden. Pray that they would humble themselves before God and confess their sins and seek his mercy and his grace. But not only do ungodly needers need repentance, we saw tonight that even godly ones do because even Christians can slip into sin and can deceive themselves and can think that they can handle things without God's help. And so can all of us. And so Stubborn people need a change of heart and mind. Don't be like the horse or the mule. Who needs re- repentance? Perhaps you and I do tonight. I'd like to close the message tonight with that prayer of David. and invite you to say it with me. okay? And make it your personal prayer as we say it together. From Psalm 51. And notice some of the words in bold as we start out to remind you. This is... Me, personally, I'm talking about, okay? Please join with me. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. In the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be our prayer tonight. And throughout this Lenten season, that, that as we focus on many examples in Scripture, we be reminded of, of the need that each of us have to live in daily repentance and faith. And may that be true in each of our lives. And Lord, we thank you that when we do live that way, we can rejoice in knowing our sins are forgiven. Amen.